Hello, I'm Radek. I'm Michael. And this is the podcast. A sounding board for interesting ideas and insights. We discuss books week I want to share with you. As well as technology and productivity, which is what we do by day working on Raft, Nosby, or whatever else comes to mind. So first up, a quick reminder. I think we mentioned this two weeks ago, which is that for all of August, we'll be publishing every two weeks instead of every week because Michael is going for on vacation for six weeks. And today, uh, on July 23rd, we'll be recording three episodes for three hours and it's going to be exhausting. And uh, you're hearing the first of those three episodes. Yeah. So I'm very excited and very nervous at the same time because it's the first time ever I'm taking such long vacations, you know, from company life. I'm confident the team will be fine. <laughs> the question is how I will be, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I want to, you know, uh, see how this goes. I want to be able to think about the company, but more in a long term uh, context, not, not just, you know, day to day uh, business. And the best part is that we have planned things, for example, from the marketing part, like way ahead in advance, like no, not my style at all, uh, which is actually good and the way it should have been always done. So um, uh, so I'm just surprised how much we've, we, we got done in July, actually, uh, to plan uh, my upcoming uh, um, sabbatical and already our marketing actions and you know plans for, for September, October including November. So crazy stuff. <laughs> okay, so let's get nerdy today and start with um, talking about the new MacBook Pro uh, because we wanted to discuss in more detail the future of both iOS and Mac in more detail. And I think there's a few things about the new MacBook Pro that um, show the beginning of this um, revolution that we think is upcoming or I think is upcoming. And so let's talk about it while it's fresh and not at the end of uh, July. Does that sound good? Yeah, especially the new MacBook Pros were just announced uh, and they start selling right now, which is odd for Apple to just, you know, announce new computers yeah, in the middle of the summer. But on the other hand, it's welcoming that they announced the computers when they already had them ready and not, you know, artificially wait another two months or something. And yes, although rather strange that there was just WWDC a month ago, and so presumably they could have announced that uh, we don't have them today, but they're coming soon. So that's rather strange, I'd say. Yeah, it's hard to say if they want didn't want them to become a topic, or maybe it's another experiment that they wanted to have a new topic, like in the middle of no topics part, like mm. you know, you know, because normally summer is not a moment where we have we, we discuss new things and uh, we know that in September the new iPhones are coming presumably so we always talk about them just before like in the end of August but like end of July just there's not, not, nothing happening so maybe it's a new tactic for them I don't know but I, I want to tell you that I did, did my homework and I watched a few video YouTube reviews of the new MacBook Pro so I am really prepared for this great so this new MacBook Pro, most people that talk about it mention uh, obviously the fact that it's just a hardware upgrade. And the big new thing that we've waited for a long time is new CPUs from Intel. And the, the big thing is that 13-inch MacBook Pros for the first time in history 
come in four core uh, configuration and all 15 inch MacBook Pros come with six cores. So it's not just like 10 to 20% year over year uh, speed bump. It's like 50, 70% on the 15 inch and like 100% faster on the 13 inch. Um, so not magic, just doubling of, of everything. And, you know, it also, they're saying, hey, it has a quieter keyboard, though uh, it's pretty clear to most people that that's just a side effect of a method of making the keyboards break less often, um, yep. <laughs> which seems to be a problem for them, sort of. Um, we still have the useless touch bar as we did before. We've talked about it in quite a lot of um, detail. Um, has uh, True Tone, cool, and that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, what what when I was listening to ATP, um, Marco Armand mentioned something which 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 now I understand the significance of it. Like a thirteen inch thirteen inch MacBook Pro has never had more than two cores ever. Like, it, like yes. when it was announced, it had two cores and that's it. And it, in throughout the history, like the I have a thirteen inch MacBook Pro. I mean, not me, my wife it has a five year old one, and it still has two cores. And then now making it four core, it's quite a big deal. And especially when you see the benchmarks, uh, what you mentioned is uh, to me in private conversations is that the new 13 inch, so the smaller one is like beats, beats the, I mean, your 15 inch out of the water, like completely is blows it yeah. out of the water. The lowest end 13 inch MacBook Pro that they shipped this year is faster than any, any unqualified, any previous MacBook Pro ever. Yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, 13, 15, 17 inch. Uh, so, you know, this is pretty great because uh, I want the 15 inch. I want the new 15 inch because it's really fast. But uh, for a lot of people, four cores is plenty. And clearly, it's a really small and really portable machine, really quite mobile. So, um, you know, this much power on 13 inch is pretty cool. Yeah, I um, what I heard on the internet is that... Uh, the best option is to either go with the maxed out 13 inch MacBook Pro mm -hmm. or go with the basic 15 inch MacBook Pro. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. Uh, there's the top of the line uh, 15 inch MacBook Pro, which is in CPU benchmarks about um, between 6 to 8% faster uh, in either single or multi core uh, CPU benchmarks than the base 15 inch model. But it has its own problems because it's really powerful like it's really overclocked and it heats up really fast and yeah, the i9 it, it, the, yeah the, the this is this machine is built to be really thin and quiet it cannot pump this enough heat out of the system so uh it's it's an expensive upgrade over the base that's going to be worth it for some people but if you spin it up 100% cpu and keep it uh this way for a while it will start throttling. So you won't get the top performance because like the MacBook can't get the heat out of it. It's just too thin and too quiet and too aluminum. Aluminum. Yes. Yeah, as you said, for some specific people, it's the same with the four terabyte option, which is very expensive. Very. Uh, but um, what I, you know, when I was watching some of the videos, of course, people who are YouTubers and are, are doing 4K video, for them, having the internal SSD 
of four terabytes for for projects it's fantastic i mean they because they usually rely on 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 external uh, um, video um, storage so for them this is fantastic and if they can justify the price because they are earning lots of money with the videos then for them it's perfect but for normal people like it doesn't make any sense sure uh, but that's not the big point I want to talk about today. Those are all great upgrades, but there's one upgrade in particular that is not something uh, almost anyone will see in day-to-day -to -day use today, but is, I think, a prelude to something much bigger and much more interesting. And that's the T2 chip, uh, which is an ARM processor which is, as far as we know, essentially a stripped-down version, uh, a stripped-down and also with some other components version of, um, I think, A10 or something like that, like some older um, iPhone CPU that's inside this new Mac. Uh, they, they, it was first added to iMac Pro, and now it's in the new MacBook Pro. And so... We talked about in the past how uh, we think, I think, that uh, the Mac is bound to switch to ARM one day because relying on Intel is a very unable thing to do. It really holds them back. It makes a lot of uh, things, a lot of great features, a lot of great integrations impossible. And Intel lusts, is losing its king um, status like arm is really powerful now and you might not have on the market a chip that's as powerful as the new intel but the foundries the the companies that produce silicon are now up to par if not better than intel it, it's 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 taken them a long time but they've they've um, approached and beaten intel at their own game the architecture is better and so it's mostly a, a matter of scaling, of taking the ARM chips that you have in your iPhone, your iPad, which are already super powerful, you know, as powerful as the MacBook One, and then scale them up, you know, make it four cores instead of two or six cores instead of three, and, um, you know, up the... Uh, the clock from you know 1.4 gigahertz to 2.5 gigahertz because you can because it's a bigger machine that with more battery and you'll get your Intel level performance and we think it's going to happen it's not happening yet but we do have this really curious chip that is you know it's not accessible it's not used to actually run normal apps like nothing like that it's, we're not there yet but it has a lot of uh, features that used to be done either by the main CPU or by separate multiple custom chips. And now they're integrated into this package, just as we expect in the mobile space. In our smartphones and our iPads, you know, companies like Apple can have a COC, right? A system on chip. They can put a lot of different things, a CPU, a lot of auxiliary silicon on one chip. And it can do a lot of things. And it's really low power. It takes very little space. It's cheap to produce uh, when you do it mass market. It's all good things, right? Let me, uh, before we dive into this discussion, because I want you to explain a little bit more how what, what it does. Uh, okay. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit, you know, business about it. 
I've read a few articles about this situation and about Intel in particular, and there was history that Intel was 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 literally blocking um, uh, laptop manufacturers from using different chips than theirs. Like you, you like it wouldn't allow. Like just to take my CPU from me, but for example, take graphics card for some from from somebody else, and especially not from ATI because they're the main competitor. So, right. uh, so they would really refuse to do it. Now in the new MacBook Pros, we have Intel processors, but then we have Radeon uh, graphics card, which is not Intel, and then we have system on the chip from Apple. So <laughs> Intel must be really, really annoyed at this situation really upset about the situation but uh, Apple as always must, must have a leverage on app on, on on Intel to really force them to do it and to do it the Apple way so you can already see this kind of bold bold statement by Apple that you know we don't care we, just, we, we you are just a CPU provider we take the CPU we'll do everything else so so it's already happening on this machine Right. Uh, still talking about uh, business. Now, I haven't prepared like exact numbers, but I, I'll I'll give you something that's close enough for the discussion. Uh, I remember I checking on my previous MacBook Pro the list price of the CPU, the Intel CPU inside, the four-core, you know, uh, high-performance mobile uh, chip from Intel, and the list price was something like four hundred and fifty dollars. Now I'm sure like. Like this is the retail price, uh, well maybe not retail, but but like the the price they list for consumers to see. I'm sure it's going to be cheaper for for Apple to to buy on on mass scale, but let's say three hundred and fifty dollars, right? Meanwhile, um, getting one of the say A10, a whatever chips for iPhones costs Apple something on the order of twenty five to thirty dollars. Wow! So they can put really lots of them there. <laughs> Yeah, so let's say that they double and triple and quadruple it and it costs $100. And it's still three times cheaper than than Intel. And even more cheaper if you consider there's a lot of auxiliary little chips that are not not necessary anymore. And the GPU, which is also like in 15-inch MacBook Pro, it's a separate chip. And it's a really annoying chip. I I wish it wasn't there because it really heats up my MacBook Pro. And I I don't play games. I don't do video. I don't need it. But I have to buy it because Apple doesn't make 15-inch MacBook Pros with integrated graphics card only anymore. But let's leave that for another time. Exactly. So they can really squeeze lots of power and lots of GPU power, which we know from the iPad Pros, for example, in this in this uh, in the setup. So this is, as you said, this is just the beginning. Right. So uh, what the T2 chip does is a lot of auxiliary things, but the most important for me is that it sets up the foundation for iOS-style security model. So uh, there's a couple of parts to it. One is secure boot. So on an iOS device, when you um, when you you know press the power button, the CPU starts reading from a little bit of read-only memory that's like uh, written into silicon, like during manufacturing process, and it has a little bit of code that goes to disk to find the bootloader and checks. Its signature checks that it's not fake, that it's it hasn't been replaced with something you know inauthentic, something that can could contain 
uh, malicious code. It's a, it checks that it was built by Apple. Says it's okay, launches that. That checks the rest of the system and then runs the system, right? And on, uh, on the Mac, that was never really possible. And now it is because even though it's an auxiliary chip, in a sense, the Intel is a co-processor to this chip. This is the, the main this is the main chip in a way. This is what starts, this is what <laughs> controls the computer. So and then so, the, the boring processing is moved to Intel. So you're saying the Intel is already an auxiliary <laughs> processor. <laughs> yeah, it's just a really powerful one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, of course a, a big flaw of um, iOS ecosystem as compared to Macs for um, people like us, people who want to use computers for work, who, people who are power users and want to use with their computers whatever the heck they want. Uh, the problem with iOS is that it's a closed ecosystem. It's a walled garden. If Apple breaks something, if Apple doesn't provide you with something, if they don't make a feature, well, tough luck, right? Like you can't install another system. You can't modify system files. You you know, there you can jailbreak it, but it, it's not... Like jailbreaks are are exploits of iOS bugs, right? Mm. And but the thing the thing is that they do it on iOS because people as a whole allow them to because it it doesn't hurt their business because iOS is still sort of a toy, right? But it doesn't have to be this way. You you don't have to choose between a objectively superior security model and an option to have the liberty to do whatever the heck you want with your property, your computer. And what you have on the iMac Pro is, is just this with T2 and now on the MacBook Pro, which is like by default, you have secure boot, you have tamper-proofing, right? You start with the, the T2 chip, it checks that that the bootloader was signed by Apple, launches that, the bootloader checks that the operating system was signed by Apple, only launches that. But if you re- reboot the computer, and you you press like two keys, you go into firmware settings, and in firmware settings, you can disable that. So this is a situation where you have uh, best of both, both worlds. For vast majority of people, vast majority of, of the time, you have a more secure system that can't be easily tampered with, but if you need it, if you're a power user, you can just disable it. But you can disable it in a way that doesn't render the whole security model useless, right? And mm-hmm. there, there's more. Like this is this is the f- the first step. Uh, you retain control. You have secure boot. You also have the hardware encryption for SSD. So the T2 chip has the the, the solid state disk controller with hardware encryption. So all of Apple's CPUs, like the ones you have in iPhones, have a unique device ID that's etched during manufacturing process into the silicon, like literally a couple of bits, like a bunch of bits uh, etched with like laser or something inside the silicon. And then there's this silicon cage built around it. So it's like, like even if you have a microscope, it will be extremely difficult to read this. And it's not readable by software, even apples. It's only accessible to the hardware. And what it means is that this device is uniquely encrypted for this device. 
And unless you're NSA and have or have a hundred thousand dollars to find the unique ID of this processor, you can't take the data, put it on a more powerful computer, and and run brute force to find the password. For all intents and purposes, the data on this machine can only be read by this machine, the same as on iPhones. And then the this unique ID and all the hardware encryption keys for for your data, just like on iPhone. Are only accessible to hardware. Even even the operating system can't read it. the The Intel processor on this MacBook Pro can never physically see it. All of the data passes through this this secure SSD controller, and this is a lot of work actually. That doesn't have to be done on Intel. So SSD is much faster, uh, fully encrypted, and it's way more secure. You also have the air-gapped controller for camera, for Touch ID, in the future Face ID, I'm sure, and integrated um, audio controller, image signal proce- processor for uh, camera image, and all of that is like separated, inaccessible to anyone. Put on this chip. So, so first of all, I didn't get it. So your explanation tells me a little bit more because I didn't get it why the T2 makes SSD faster. Because it, like when I saw the benchmarks, I mean, this is freaking fast, the SSD on, this, on, the, on, the, on, these, on these machines. It's, 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 it's just mind-blowingly fast because SSD is fast in general, but like you, we're talking about the speeds of not 500 megabytes per second, but you know, 5,000 megabytes, I mean, not, not 3,000 megabytes per second. So, so, so yes. really like six times faster. Than, 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 than a standard for very fast SSD anyway. Yeah, uh, I think it's like twice as fast as, as previous generation. And some of this, I'm sure, is just uh, uh, is just difference in like individual flash chips. For at least much of the improvement, it's the fact that it's offloaded from the main CPU and it's on hardware, just like on iOS. Exactly. So again, CP, the as you said, the the beefier auxiliary CPU from Intel is 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 not forced to do these uh, small tasks because it's been done, it's it's being done by the A2 by the A10 whatever um, by the T2 chip, mm-hmm. and uh, and again we have a productivity situation. You know, the the CPU is 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 like the 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 work of CPU is limited. It's more focused, and the rest of the stuff. Apple controls and does by itself already. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Uh, and 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 that's a, a small snippet because what the main thing I, I wanted to to discuss briefly with you is is that I think iOS and, and Mac and macOS are destined to converge. They they will. They have to. They must. You know when um, Microsoft many years ago now have first tried to in- introduce you know sort of universal windows everywhere on the phone and and the desktop like like this pretty much failed because they it was it was too early it was way ahead of its time they don't have enough control over uh, its developers or didn't so they, they they wouldn't buy into it and they didn't do it very well so they they tried to like really force um, really mobile style UI on the desktop, and that that didn't work. There's, there were a lot of elements that didn't work, and so a lot of people laughed 
uh, at Microsoft for doing this, Apple including, that, you know what, you know, iOS and, and Mac are totally different. Uh, but but no, no, they had a good point. They, they just didn't do it very well. Like, it makes no sense. Why? This stuff is so complicated. So complicated. Why would you want to develop two independent platforms where most of what they do is the same. They do computing. You know, they do computing, right. They, they have text, they have buttons, um, they have interactions, they have gestures, they have text input. Most of the stuff is the same. Now, a lot of things are different, but you know, when, when, you, when you write code, you, you learn with time to abstract, to abstract differences, not to repeat yourself uh, when it's not appropriate, but when you have a lot of places where you do the same thing, just kind of different, you find an abstraction where that then encapsulates like like this is all of the stuff that's the same, so you don't have to repeat yourself. You only define what it means once, and then this is how you plug in the differences between those places, and like oh, this this is the same situation. Obviously, there's a lot of differences between macOS and iOS. Some of those differences are important. Uh, this is differences in input. Like on a Mac, you always have a physical keyboard. You don't have an on-screen keyboard. You don't have touch input, though. They're saying that it's, not, it's never coming. I think it might. But you also have trackpad. You have mouse. You have you know precision uh, one-point input. And on iOS or, uh, you know, on iPhone or iPad, you have other things. You have accelerometer, you have uh, compass, you have GPS, you always have cellular, though Mac should have that too. Uh, you have multi-touch input, you, you have just one window, you know, one app at a time, except for split screen. So th- th- there's some differences uh, there, but you can exa- encapsulate those differences. And a lot of other differences are imaginary like there are differences that don't have to be the differences that that can be completely squashed and removed there's differences that have to do with legacy with history with the fact that there, there used to be a technology that apps used to use but you slowly with time you you cut off access to old technologies because they hold back progress right and in the end what i think will happen must happen is that you have one unified operating system with differences for different platforms. Uh, notice uh, watchOS and tvOS from Apple. They're not their own operating systems, not really. They're both simplified versions of iOS that don't have a lot of features, don't have a lot of frameworks, and they have their own UI, right? Yeah, different inputs, like, yeah, different inputs, yes. different gestures, like different uh, way of displaying things uh, different as you said UI uh, UX but uh, underneath there is like iOS yeah underneath it, it's all the same and the, the same should be with macOS one of the things that that will change is um, there's there are new paradigms on, on iOS there's a couple of things that will happen one is uh, the CPU the Mac switching to ARM processor. And we, we just discussed how they're making steps towards this, both on the Mac with the T2 chip and on iOS by putting 
honestly way overpowered CPUs in iOS devices. Uh, CPUs so powerful, no one really needs them in a phone. But they're making this, and I'm I, I'm I'm sure. Like I'm sure part of the reason why is because they want to bridge the gap in performance, right? And they are doing it so fast. I mean, with every generation of the iPhone, when you can see the speed bump, you're like, what is this? How can it be so much faster in one year? Yes, and another thing that uh, that's a big mi- missing piece is UIKit. So this is the framework developers use to build apps, build how it looks, you know, the the buttons and the text and the taps and like just the interface, right? And you have UIKit on iOS and AppKit on the Mac. And most of what they do is the same, just different. And so as we discussed um, two weeks ago, uh, having essentially the same apps on iOS and Mac takes a ton of work because you have to essentially rewrite it from scratch. like you can't share that much code. And it makes zero sense, zero. And they're working on it, right? We will have next year this thing that uh, people call Marzipan uh, that will allow you to easily port iOS apps to the Mac. And right now, what we have today in uh, macOS Mojave is really kind of a hack, but I'm, I'm sure this is, this is not the end state they're going for. They're going to full native feel of, of a Mac app. But the way to do it, instead of um, having a completely separate framework, is to have the same framework with more options. You know, with like you don't have an option on iOS to add MNE or to handle mouse clicks or you know double clicks or right clicks, but you can add it and just ignore it on iOS and use it on macOS, right? And that that's presumably exactly what uh, will happen. And at this point we are really close because we have the the main framework that you use to build apps available on the Mac, whereas all the auxiliary uh, frameworks do for dealing with you know images and video, all the uh, networking, all of that is already mostly the same. And then you have the same CPU. So you could essentially just run the exact same app, like the, the same binary, just like copy and paste it from iOS to Mac and it would launch because it's the same CPU. And at this point, all of the remaining differences are really things that are not necessary. I mean, uh, macOS obviously has more features, it has more access, but again, that can be parametric, that can be something that's not available on iOS, but it's still part of the same operating system, just hidden or disabled, just like watchOS can do everything iOS can. No, it's completely uh, like like the way you're presenting it. It's uh, and the way you know we see that it's uh, as you said, many things are just history. And uh, what I like about Apple, what I've always admired about Apple, is that they are, you know, hashtag courage, very <laughs> uh, very very bold uh, bold see when they want to just uh, you know just cut off history from something. They do it differently, do it um, in a different way. And uh, they're not afraid to do it. And uh, I think, you know, of course, uh, what I also like about Apple, as you mentioned with the Microsoft case, um, 
Apple uh, has to find a moment where they can really do it at scale. They can, they, they, uh, well, well, Microsoft misfires and Microsoft very often posts very nice futuristic videos of how the future will be. Um, <laughs> Apple is actually doing the future when it can do the future. So, um, as you said, with the A line of processors, they are catching up very quickly uh, with the speed and everything else. And they're just putting all ducks in the row as, as the Americans say it. So uh, when you showed me uh, a, a few demos of things that can be done, like you know an iOS app just directly ported to Mac, uh, I oh, was yes. blown away, and 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 it and it really worked. And it was like, yeah, this is this is so clearly the future. And and as as we mentioned, I think in the past in this so, uh, in this uh, on the show, in our company where we try to have native apps for all the platforms, but we have a small team and we want to have a small, small team by choice, by design, being able to do a great iOS app and just port it to the Mac and then just, just add a few features and a few things and a, a better mac y feel to the app is just going to be so good for us and so good for the users because they will just get a so much better app. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that was frustrating for Power users on iOS for many years is how many things that were not there. Because what Apple could have done is like really port macOS to ARM processor 10 years ago. So Windows tried to, to do with like Windows CE. Uh, like remember this yeah. Windows 98 style? Like it was horrible. Like it made no sense. They started from scratch. And so a lot of like... They only added, I think, an iOS 3 copy and paste. Come on, how stupid is that, right? Right. Or it was uh, last year that they added um, something kind of resembling Finder, but still not, not, not really and still really lacking in a lot of functionality. But, but, but the fact that you could have something like a separate file system. You know how you, when you... Um, you know, connect a, a USB stick to your Mac, right? Or or a uh, or a CD back back in a, a, in a day. You have you know your files, and then this new thing appears, and you can go in there, and you can sort you know go through the 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 tree of files. And they added kind of something like this. You have this thing called file providers. So you like the main sort of storage is iCloud Drive, but you can have Dropbox alongside it, and it works just the same, right? You can go inside the Dropbox and go uh, deeper and deeper and you have apps that can integrate like, um, you know, like FTP clients or SSH clients or Git clients. Like, I have no idea why someone would want to do this, but in theory, you could make a USB, a USB um, I don't know, a, a CD drive that you could connect to uh, you know, through an adapter to iOS and have an app that could read from it and show it to you in the files app. I'm pretty sure it's possible technically, though. I'm, I'm sure no one will ever do it because it's stupid. Uh, but, but, but the thing is, like, the way you do it back in the day would be by implementing a file system. And the, the, the thing about it is that it's really tricky business. It's really hard and really dangerous because you have to stick it inside the, the operating system kernel so it's really dangerous, like it has access to everything, has access to too much, and if it breaks, it will crush your computer. So it's really bad, it's really, it's really crazy stuff. And so like, you don't want to, to do that, no. But it took such a long time, but we have an implementation of 
something that gives you the same result uh, from a user perspective in that you can plug in external stuff like Dropbox and, and whatever into a file browser, but it's built in a clean, safe way, in a way that you can just download an app from, from App Store. You don't know what it is. You don't have to trust it, but it will either it will work or it won't, but it won't be dangerous and it won't crash your computer, right? And so there was a ton of things like this. There was just an example of how essentially the same things that used to exist for decades on the Mac were eventually brought into iOS, but in a new paradigm. That's yes, in a new way. In a new way that's better, that's safer, that's more extensible. And so this is what's going to happen. All of those things uh, will be, uh, you know, the, the things that are lacking on iOS, they'll be added one by one to iOS, things that we have on the Mac, and then the stuff we have on the Mac will eventually be deprecated and moved to the new system, the new paradigm that's in the long term better. And then we can have all of the power of what we expect today from quote unquote a real computer. But whether you are on a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a desktop computer, it will just be a difference in form factor. But it will be the same OS. And that's the future that I wait for. And that's how it's gonna be.